This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hey, folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Meara. So this segment of the show, which we do periodically and whenever we remember to do it, is a segment where we talk about what it's like to do a job that you know something about, that you may have some contact with, but you really don't know what the work is really like. And we're going to talk now about a job that a lot of folks, at least in Philadelphia especially, spend an awful lot of time thinking about, and that is playing professional football. So with this is Eric Lorg, who is... Uh, also at the moment, an MBA student here at the Wharton School. Before that was a tailback and a tight end for the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Eric, welcome. And he holds a bachelor's degree from Stanford University as well as a master's degree, and he's working on his MBA here. There you go. Collecting those degrees. Yes. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> do you wonder, do they give you rings for degrees, like a Super Bowl ring? Do you get the equivalent? No, they thing? ought to, though. I think so. Yeah. I think that's right, yeah. So, Eric, tell us a little about, uh, you left Stanford. What's the drill in terms of getting to the NFL? I mean, literally, what what happens? You have to raise your hand and say, oh, okay, I'm applying for a job here. What what happens? Well, first, thanks for having me on, and, and I'm really excited to talk about these things Good. with you. So that's Good. a great question to start off with. Um, well, if you look at college sports, especially football, more like an amateur sport, then you'll start to realize that the NFL starts scouting players as soon as they're 18. 18. So once you're in the college football system, hmm. I mean, this is such a lucrative system and integrated with the NFL that it's essentially like a baseball farm team. Hmm. So mm-hmm. as soon as I'm there stepping foot, NFL scouting departments, which uh, you know, invest lots and lots of money into, take a note on me when they might be scouting a guy who's on the upcoming draft. Right. So without knowing the exact details, I could tell you that scouts start watching us as 18-year-olds once we get to the, the mm-hmm. school itself. So that's probably when the evaluation period started. Can I just ask you on that? Do you know who these guys are? When you're at practice, they're guys standing on the sideline. Everybody know who they are? Is yeah, that... in a way. Uh, and mm-hmm. like I said, every, every college coach runs it differently and that's a whole separate conversation but mm-hmm. we do know that scouts are there they're on the field at a certain time they're permitted to mm. and they have their team emblem on their shirt oh no kidding and Ooh. of course all okay. of us as players have our eyes on them you know we're side-eyeing yeah. them everywhere right, right, because right. we're right. hoping that they're seeing us take a good step make a good play yeah you yeah. don't know explicitly who they're yeah. looking at but you yeah. know they're out there with a notebook yeah when you were at stanford on on the team there what percentage of your colleagues you think wanted to play in the NFL if they could? I think, okay, if you were to pull everyone their freshman year, everyone would be like, yeah, I want to play in the NFL. You know, Mm -hmm. 100% sort of with Mm. that. You ask them 50% through, uh, then I think you get less than 50% saying, I'm still on the NFL route. And then finally, when you get to that senior year, everyone sort of knows. And you have some guys that it has been indicated already through coaches and their own play. You know, that's probably like Less than 5% of guys at least have a shot. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have, I think, some variation, maybe 10% to Mm -hmm. 20% Mm -hmm. say, you know, I still want to do the NFL, but their tape at that point might not reflect it. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, it depends on that player mind, but a certain of them, a small one, know they're going to keep playing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because I guess they, nobody wants to admit that they want to do something that they can't do. Right. Right. Probably right. And kids get weeded out. Yep. As they start as 18-year-olds, football is a tough sport, yeah. both yeah. with the management and coaches and both with injuries. So you know by that third, fourth year if you're going to do it or yeah. not. What percentage of your class of players at Stanford do you think was there at the end four years later? Okay, good question. I, so if we had a class of 20 guys, 
maybe three to five of them became medical, uh, you know, labeled medical, meaning they no had kidding. a devastating enough injury where they, they were suggested not to play anymore. So almost 25%. Yeah. Wow. Then mm. after that, you have some guys that are playing at a high level and are being recruited, um, not really by the NFL, but recruited just by the coaches. And, and you know, you can keep playing. You can, you're doing well mm-hmm. enough and sort mm-hmm. of fed in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll continue on to their, their senior year in that way. Okay. And then by that time, what was your, what was your exact question with this one? Yeah, what percentage at the end are still there? Okay. Out of so, that 20% coming in, let's say. Or 20, 20 people coming in. Out of those 20 people, maybe 15 might still be there mm-hmm. and not necessarily playing. It's okay. possible, depending on the, on the class, maybe okay. five might be playing. Mm-hmm. But because of the scholarship rules, you can't cut these players in the college. Oh, there's really? still okay. there's still that huh. binding. You know, I'm not sure if that's a legal thing. Or yeah, what. even tell me, because I thought from having friends who, whose kids played D1 ball that the scholarships were not four-year scholarships. They were year by year, and they're extended, not based on passing all your classes, but by on-the-field play. Interesting. I, I think that might might be a case-to-case um, yeah. university school school. situation. Maybe, maybe You're not. You're saying at Stanford is basically a four-year scholarship? Yeah. As far as I knew, it was a full four-year scholarship. Huh. And depending on the coach, he might use that as a tactic to get players to be more motivated or to possibly root out players, which I've observed yeah. both happening. Mm. I don't basically know saying exactly. your, your scholarship's not guaranteed. You better start taking this more seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that happened – I remember that – explicitly happening when we had a coaching changeover once and that was one of the opening messages very early on wow was yeah. that harbaugh coming in or coming out in that was harbaugh coming in okay. who yeah. you know, i love dearly as a coach <laughs> and is responsible a lot for my nfl success mm-hmm. yeah. yeah interesting so you get close to graduation and what happens then so it, depending on your year so some guys get good enough their third third year to go out for the NFL I was a guy in my fourth year mm-hmm. who so I stayed for my full eligibility mm-hmm. I had already I had just about finished my degree mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen because I actually only played three games my senior year oh, huh. I had a career or a season ending injury at a torn groin mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I actually I went I was very unsure about what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So in that senior year, I kind of scrambled, and I actually applied to a, a, a one-year master's program at Stanford, which is why I ended up having that, because uh-huh. I had some time on my hands, and I didn't know if the NFL was going to happen. And I was waiting the season out to get a combine invitation. Mm-hmm. Now, this is when the NFL part starts. So mm-hmm. maybe after a month, uh, the regular season ends and the bowl game ends, the NFL starts to contact you officially okay. with mm-hmm. an invitation to the combine. Okay. So there are some players in those senior class across the nation that get invites. I don't know that exact number, but it's not many. Mm-hmm. I got one of those invites. Mm-hmm. So that was like a golden ticket situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then and that comes from the league. Yeah, that comes from uh, – yeah, I don't know how they get to that decision, but that is league official. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is from the NFL. They come to their own – I don't know how they get together and send the invites, but they do – you get one, and then you spend the next two months living, breathing football training for the combine. Oh, preparing for the combine. Okay. Preparing for the combine. So this yeah. is like studying for the MCATs. Or totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah you, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You are training for all of these uh, measurements, these athletic measurements, mm-hmm. and, and the combine is a fun conversation too because. The combine itself has evolved a lot over the years. It mm-hmm. used to, in history, just be a medical check. Mm-hmm. There wasn't even anything really going on. Just mm-hmm. the, the doctors at the teams just get to know you physically, mm-hmm. and then they write a report. But now it's turned into a mm. whole, you know, it's a spectacle. Mm. Guys and ESPN are, broadcasts it, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a revenue maker. You know, they want an audience yeah. for it. Sure, and yeah, there are some, yeah. 
there are some evaluative criteria that can get a player drafted on the fringes or maybe can on the fringes get a player not drafted mm-hmm. because there's so much testing going on. What are they uh, who's doing the prep for you? Is there companies that do like Kaplan's? Yeah. Kaplan's? <laughs> there are, yeah, there are equivalent of just wow. like how I did the Combine Manhattan prep. prep for my, you know, the yeah. GMAT and GRE stuff. Right. I did no one kidding. for yeah. the Combine. So you yeah. have these professional organizations that are all about high performance. Okay. And they get known okay. sort of their go to market, you know, at first as, you know, high performance athletes. Uh-huh. And they get yeah. these, these sprinting coaches, nutrition coaches, weight coaches, mm. but it's really becomes a, uh, track and field exercise mm-hmm. more than a football exercise mm-hmm. so yeah. players get fancy they get really lean mm. they learn more how to run fast rather than squat a lot mm-hmm. and then you go out there and the the objective coming in is i'm a big lean fast player you uh-huh. know, all nfl teams yeah. want that they want yeah. these big dudes who are lean and who are fast mm-hmm. so mm. they, they take us for two months we live breathe it you know 10 hour days Broken up into nutrition, exercise, Olympic lifting, sprinting, and you mm. do it twice a day, mm. and then you go home, sleep, and do it again. Mm. And, and by the way, yeah. while you're doing this, you're still supposed to be a senior in college, taking classes and ah, and passing tests. We forgot that part. Yeah. So okay, so <laughs> players at that point, at that at that yeah, that, that crossroads, either I, I've saw three situations. I was done, you know, pretty much. I had I withdrew from Stanford while waiting to find out if I was going to be you know, healthy enough to start training for the combine. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting that out. Mm-hmm. You have players who are done with their degree ahead of that and then just move on mm-hmm. uh, to the training or maybe they're done with the whole football program, mm-hmm. football together. And then you have third guys, maybe they're in year three or they're maybe not finish it and they just withdraw and focus. And there's also guys who do both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they usually aren't going to the combine. Mm. So one top, one area we didn't talk about were the guys who just do the pro day. The pro day is when a lot of NFL teams will show up to universities uh, mm. who are hosting players who didn't get invited to the combine. Oh, wow. Or to players mm. who got invited to the combine that didn't perform well, they get a second chance. Okay. Okay. So mm. some players still go to their classes and train just for that because they mm. can't go to the combine. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. second second chance option. There okay. you go. And so that you perform at the combine, you get all your results and things. Do you know more or less um, how well you're going to do in, a, in the draft? After the combine, you have a pretty good sense of that. Player? No, it's no. it's like a, it's a mystery box. It, it's oh. it's a the NFL <coughs> scouting. It, it's a it's a really opaque process. Uh-huh. The, the agents don't. You know, no one really knows. And at this point, when you're out of college, you're talking to the agents a lot more. Mm. The ones you end up selecting, you know, okay. they're trying to give you so much information and trying to control the process while you're right. a young guy. Like, which round am I going to go? That's what everyone always asks. So you have to sign up for an agent at that point. Yeah, you, you when do. you as soon as you finish with your you know, college mm-hmm. obligation with the team mm-hmm. and you're done with your eligibility for call for amateur play, okay, then you can select an agent and he represents you. Okay, yeah. So before the combine, you're agent to up, yeah. as it were. And the agent's supposed to be, you know, he play he wears many hats. He's your uh, guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. He's your advisor to what you should shouldn't do. He's your communicator to teams and what yep. teams are saying. And uh, so he's really a big source of information. Okay. Yeah. So, folks, we're talking with Eric Larga, who's an MBA candidate here at the Wharton School, but before that played for the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the NFL. And we're talking about the process right now of getting hired into the NFL. So, uh, combine's over, your coach is feeding you information, then we go to draft time, I guess, right? Yeah. So, 
you were leading up, we just finished those three, those two things. Our agent is our primary source of information because mm-hmm. he's got relationships with GMs who's interested in you. You don't know what's going on because the, uh, the organizations are sometimes, you know, with the higher profile players, they're, mm-hmm. they'll put out news stories about a player because they want them to go lower oh, so they yeah, can get yeah, a, they get a selection. Yeah. yeah, there's all sorts Ooh. of tricks and huh. tricks of the trade going huh. on. Yeah, at that level to figure out, you know, who's going to get who and maybe there's a draft. Mm. Anyway, no one really knows what's going on. Mm. Usually people know the first two or three draft picks. Uh That might be the most predictable. Uh, And then the rest is really a crapshoot for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you got drafted by the Saints? I got drafted by the Buccaneers. Oh, the Buccaneers. In the seventh round. Oh, okay. I I think I was the fourth or fifth to last pick. I almost got the Mr. Irrelevant spot. (laughs) Which is uh, huh. uh, celebrated every single year with a trip oh. to Disneyland. Have you heard about this? Is that what it's also <laughs> yeah. called when you're Mr. The, the last last player in the last round? Yeah, yeah. I was five spot, maybe less to that. <laughs> yeah, I almost made yeah. it in there, and and I think a lot of that had to do with uh, my injury. Yeah. I missed you know, most of the senior year, yeah. but uh, a couple teams were still excited about me, gave me a shot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you went to the to Tampa Bay, and when does that start? Then you show up when? Okay, so I got drafted around mid-April. Uh, I remember talking to a couple coaches. It's a really quick, you know, you're sitting there. The draft lasts three days. I'm on the last day, the last hour. So mm. you know, at this point, I didn't know how I was going to go. And they're up on my slot, and I get a call, and it happens to be the, it, I think it was a, 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 either an owner or a GM. I can't remember exactly who it was, but they notified me. They told me. I talked to the position coach. Mm-hmm. They said, we're about to select you. I saw it on TV. Ooh. Jump for joy. That's kind uh-huh. of, that's mm-hmm. sort of like that, uh, you know, idyllic situation yeah. you know, that you dream about happens and then you're out there within a week hmm. and they fly you out because you're about to start uh, with like a rookie training camp a rookie mini camp mm-hmm. and that's sometimes clumped in with an overall mini camp for players that are already professional but not on a team yet hmm. so they get you all together and but you as a draft class are treated a little differently okay. kind of you still go through all the sim, all the training and all the practices and get to know yous but uh, you are treated separately because it's assumed that you're going to be there maybe, and I stress maybe, throughout the season. Okay. Yeah. So when you arrive, all you guys together, is there – do you feel like – you know, distance with everybody, or are you all kind of, oh my God, we're all in this together kind of thing? My experience was, uh, it's a, it's a little of both. Like with the with the draft class, you know, mm-hmm. if, at that age, you, you kind of feel special a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I made it, you know, I got yeah. drafted. Yeah. But right. in reality, it really didn't matter that you got drafted, except yeah. for that first, second round draft pick. He's got yeah. some financial security with the team. Mm-hmm. Team's yeah. probably going to keep him for at least one or two years. Mm-hmm if not three, yeah. but the rest of us, you know, we, we feel the shine, but we quickly learned that it did not matter that we even got drafted. Mm. No, mm-hmm. not past the third round or so. You are mm-hmm. pretty much like anyone else on the cutting board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And how many new-to-the-league players are added to each team each year? It's got to be less than seven. Maybe it's not. Wait, what do you mean? Like, like, like either turnover? like uh, undrafted uh, free agents who have never played before uh, or drafted players. So you got yeah. seven drafted players, 53 spot roster yeah so it goes from 53 during that season i think of that 46 are actually active on game day and there's okay. that amount that's okay. inactive and that's that's we that's another conversation and that can be for a variety of reasons yeah. and then you have those 50 they'll add 50 spots to get i think to 100 between 90 and 100 during mm-hmm. the off season and those guys are mm-hmm. basically it's those 50 guys and really everyone besides the core players mm-hmm. are in a mix of guys that have maybe been in the league for a few years floating around 
down, been mm-hmm. on practice squads, maybe a, an active roster here and there, but mm-hmm. haven't made it yet mm-hmm. or haven't really found themselves as a player. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of rookies mm-hmm. who just came in, you know, right off the boat and kind of mm-hmm. like ready to go. Yeah. And then third guys, the veterans who have been around for a while and who either signed a free agent deal with them mm-hmm. or if you're a legitimate free or a veteran, you might have signed a small deal in the offseason to be there. And yeah. it, when somebody gets put on the practice squad, what happens to those guys? They get What do they get paid and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, is it... so the practice squad is within the team, and they are the practice squad is used typically for younger players that are still in development modes. Okay. Uh, they get paid a fraction of the salary. They're not in the same category, as far as I know. Uh, maybe that's changed now as the, the players with benefits and sort of in the NFL, so that practice mm. squad you're in the NFL you're you're involved with the club but you're signing different contracts you're getting paid significantly less mm. and mm. you are there um, to develop to serve as a practice player but also they have some sort of interest in you or otherwise you wouldn't be in there yeah. and often you get signed off the practice squad to another club Oh, or you okay. get signed up to the team that to you're with. Yeah. So as I remember, Dan, um, we're talking baseball, that there was a, a minimum contract of about $500,000 that you got just for being in Major League Baseball. Was there equivalent for the NFL? Yes, yeah, for the NFL, if you were on the active roster, and yeah. this is contingent on how many years you're a crew on oh, the roster. But okay. I, I don't know those exact ones, but let's, for mm-hmm. the sake, we'll keep it simple. And if you're in on that active roster and you're a rookie – Yep. I think the minimum now, and it goes up every single year by a percentage. Mm-hmm. I think it's now between four fifty and five hundred, okay. if not more. So but it's similar. not guaranteed, right? Mm. No, no, no. Mm. It depends on your contract. But if you're just to say your bare minimum rookie contract, rookie yep. first year, right? You're there. It says you know you get five hundred thousand um, for the 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 games, so you're paid per game, not for the year. Okay, and you know they may cut you three games in your first season, and Ooh, you're not okay. getting five hundred thousand. You're yeah. getting that you know yep. per week a lot, right? Right. Um, yeah. But if you're there for the season, you'll get that all paid out. Mm-hmm. They typically give you your paychecks, uh, uh, hard copy as yeah. you leave in the locker room for the game. Yeah, it was it was kind of changing no towards <laughs> really? the end of my yeah. career. But yeah, yeah, actually, I remember being uh, I, my first. I was a first-year player, and I was getting hard checks. I didn't have the uh, direct deposit set up now, which you know, most most yeah. clubs go through that now. But I literally remember, and this was always a fun time for me. I'd get that check, you know. I'd say to myself, "Wow, like this isn't going to last that long." Cool. Okay, now pretend it didn't happen, and then I would drive to the bank and deposit it very yeah. fast. Yeah, <laughs> right. get get it in there very fast. Yeah. So let's. And talk what to- is it about Vontae Davis that would make us wonder if that's a good idea? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Zip, off it goes. Out goes the money. So let's talk a little bit about maybe the day-to-day behind-the-scenes operations of being a player. Let's talk about diet, right? They must control your diet pretty tightly. What what did you have to – what do they require that you eat or what do they put out for you or do they require you eat certain stuff? Yeah, this answer is also contingent on the club you're with. Okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, Just in terms of food, if we're going to get started on food, which is a very exciting topic for me, Mm -hmm. uh, love food. Um, some clubs have you know, really you know, great buffets, and mm-hmm. they're very um, 
specific and tailored towards performance and towards players. Mm -hmm. And I always had that experience. Now I've heard. I was hoping that food for the Saints in New Orleans would be better. Yeah, yeah. Is it? No? No, for Saints in Tampa, I had really good experiences. Uh I always had a good cuisine to pick from. Okay. And. But some clubs ran a more a cheap, cheaper operation there, yeah, and yeah. I heard one club in particular they just served hot dogs and hamburgers no and kidding. like basic veggies. Yeah, <laughs> oh. they did. I heard that from players. I never had that experience. But to Jackie. answer, I know, <laughs> to answer the question more, yeah, yes, they they aren't micromanaging you as you might think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you get to the NFL, there's much more individual responsibility and oh. autonomy that yeah. you, that you otherwise wouldn't think. Even with the okay. training, huh. the the trainers there, they're not really there. <laughs> to you know be all over you mm-hmm. at that point if you're at that level you've done it yourself yeah. and you're mm-hmm. there's much more self-management there yeah. and mm-hmm. that's also true for the food but they're mm-hmm. there to aid if you want help or more okay. of a design or want specific shakes and that sort of thing yeah. you know, they have yeah. nutritionists and and think about co- uh, coaching too so you have how many different coaches are dealing with you ah. um, at, once you get on the NFL team, let's say around the roster, how many different coaches are hitting, talking with you and working with you? That's a, that's a good, it's a really good question. So for me, let me just sit here and think about how many I had that either helped me or I was a, was a direct report for me. Okay, so I had six coaches that either were communicators or people I checked in with for performance and of those Mm. three of them were direct reports so Mm -hmm. my position coach definitely a direct report Uh, he was watching over me every day Uh, above him was the offensive coordinator who was watching over everyone Mm -hmm. and then above him was the head coach so those are three and then each of them often had assistant coaches aiding them who were more there to communicate things with you Mm -hmm. and help with technique and and just you know player regulation Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you had a strength coach who whether you know you embraced him or not was there to help you stay uh, Mm -hmm. stay injury free and stay strong throughout the season which is a very big challenge sure well during game day how many how many different coach interactions did you have when you're playing Uh, it was a little smaller then because during game day a lot of those coaches that aren't assistants or coordinators, they have specific responsibilities that they need to do during live action. Mm-hmm. So you don't see them as much, but your one-on-one uh, interaction with your position coach and coordinator and head coach is higher because mm-hmm. there's just more situations, but it's not as much of a coaching. It's not like what you guys might think like you see in a, a movie or at practice. It's much more um, it, It's calm because they know they can't start, you know, freaking out or coaching yeah. you too hard because it might just make you freak out. Right. right. And it's, so it's more about calmness and you know taking a halftime break and then mm-hmm. figuring mm-hmm. out strategy mm-hmm. and figuring out what happened, what went wrong. It's more about communication. Yeah. yeah. We're running out of time here. We don't have a ton of time. A bunch of things we wanted to ask you, but let's yeah. talk maybe for a minute about halftime. So what goes on in halftime? Halftime's uh, adjustments. Um, okay. I, I would say... You know, it's. I, I wish it was like the movies, but it's not. Uh-huh. That, maybe in college it was. The uh-huh. college was more like the movies. Yeah. You had a lot of raw, raw, and you had a lot of challenge to the players. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes winning and sometimes mm-hmm. not. And in the NFL, I said that w- that was. Uh, it was less. It was more strategy. Yeah. What's what's going on? That's that's, that's working. And they, they're trying to get information and pull information from the players. From the players. Oh okay. yeah, and yeah. it's 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 calm and it's it's academic. I mean, uh-huh. there's we're all in you know, it's seats and there's a whiteboard and we're uh-huh. going over certain plays. Uh-huh. And of course, adjustments are really big mm-hmm. during halftime mm-hmm. because the coaches are you know, also playing a sophisticated game and they want to do something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so are you uh, by positions there or everybody's not together, right? So yeah. 
yeah. in my experience, they'll split up offense and defense for a certain okay. amount of time. Usually it's like 10, maybe 10 minutes separate, and then five minutes you're seeing each other mm-hmm. right before the end. Eric, we got to let you go. Great to have yeah. you with us. So, Eric Lorig, we're going to be back in just a minute. Hang in there for more of the show. to have you back, too. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.